Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. So, guys, over the years, okay, there have been some classic movie quotes, okay? Really good. As a matter of fact, it's really funny because there'll be times when I'll use a quote and Josh could name the movie, okay? He's, like, very good. He's, like, he's like movie trivia guy, right? So you don't want to play with Josh, but I'll, I'll, I'll do a quote and he'll be like, hey, that's from, hey, hey, that's from. And so first service, I said, Josh, you can't play because you'll win, but... But it's about, it's just entertaining. Now, there's a lot of us who know the quotes, right? But we don't know the movie it's from. We're like, hey, I've heard that quote before, but what movie it's from? So I, here's what we're going to do, okay? In order to get what, what we're going to talk about today, let's take a few moments to test your knowledge, okay? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the quote, but you need to shout out the movie and the year if you know it, okay? That's what I'm going to do, okay? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the quote... And you're going to shout out the movie. You ready? Here it is. Number one. Here's looking at you, kid. Yeah, you got it. 1942. Shows you how old you might be. I'm not saying. Just, there you go. There you go. Okay? And, and that's, I said it wrong. I said, here's looking at you, kid. Something like that, right? Right? Okay. How about this one? Go ahead. Make my day. That's, the, what's the movie? Sudden impact. <laughs> okay. All right. It could be both. I don't know. It said sudden 1983. Okay. How about this one? Uh, for all my friends out there, may the force be with you. What year? Star Trek. <laughs> 1977. All right. How about this one? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And then... 1972. You're close. How about this one? You ready? Last one. I'll be back. Right. You guys got that, right? And you go, Pastor, what's the point of these movie quotes? Well, here it is, okay? I want you to stay with me because when it comes to movie quotes, I believe there's one that fits our study this morning, but it's not well known. You might know it. I didn't know it, but stay with me, okay? There's a movie called um, uh, Papillon, okay? Papillon, and it stars Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman, okay? And what it is in this movie is there, it was, a, it was an originally in a book and in this movie, and, and there's just this amazing quote that I believe really fits with what we're going to study today. Now, let me just kind of give you a little bit of the movie. I won't spoil it if you want to read it, but in the movie, the main character... Okay, Steve McQueen has a dream about being in a courtroom trial for murder. Could you imagine? One of the most terrible crimes a person could ever commit. And he has this dream, and as he's standing before the judge, can you imagine, he's standing before the judge, awaiting sentencing, he asks the judge a very interesting question. Okay, in his dream, he stands before the judge, and he asks the judge, he says, hey, judge, I've got a question. What is it, son? And he said, what was the crime? That's what he asked the judge, right? To where the judge replies, ready? Here's the greatest quote that we've missed. He says, the crime is the tragedy of a wasted life. The tragedy of a wasted life. You see, this was, if you will, one of the best quotes in movie history. What was the crime, he asked? The tragedy of a wasted life. Now, pastor, why do you bring this up? Here's why. Listen. Because we're entering the final week of Jesus, okay? We know that in a week, if you will, he's about to head to the cross to die. There are people in this time and in this world that would easily say, Jesus, his crime was that of a wasted life. They would say, Jesus, you wasted your life. You ministered, you, uh, you did miracles, you did all of this only to die on the cross only to live a life and then just die there where everyone can see what a wasted life. Here's the one thing that I believe we can take some application to. 
I think as many people look at the cross and say, boy, what a wasted life. Jesus lived and died for nothing. Some man died on the cross. I think a lot of people will look at our lives and say, what a wasted life. You as a believer, what a wasted life. You're going to give your life to the Lord. You're going to serve him. You're going to do, oh, Miss Goody Goody Two Shoes. You're going to do all of this. What a wasted life. You need to leave that life. Listen, you need to follow me. You need to live your life to the fullest, man. You need to live that crazy, live the vida loca life. Come on, that's not life. This is life. And I'm thinking that's exactly what the enemy says to us. What a wasted life. To where I say about Jesus and us, the one thing can never be said about Jesus is that he wasted his life. As a matter of fact, it's the very opposite is true. You see, Jesus, if you'll take a moment and breathe him in, you'll see that he lived his life to the fullest. He gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. It wasn't a life that was wasted. It was a life that was, wow, amazing. And I think it's the same for you. Please don't let the world ever say that your life is nothing but a wasted life. You go, Ben, you don't know my life. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've struggled with. Listen, all the struggles are going to do is just draw you closer to the God who loves you. Well, think about it. As we move into the final week, we need to backtrack just a little bit. Remember what we talked about last week. In verses 1 through 11, you remember what we talked about? We discovered how one smells, now I'm not talking deodorant, how one smells determine who he's been with. That not that true? Isn't that true? Okay? You will smell like the person you have been with. You go, okay, well, what do you mean? Well, remember this. Remember we learned about the smell of love, the smell of love. You go, who's that? Well, remember Martha and Lazarus, and Mary, they all smelled like Jesus. But what does Jesus smell like? He smells like love. He smells like love, right? You go, well, what do you mean? Well, think about Martha. Where do we find Martha? We find her serving, okay? We find her. There's a big dinner guest, right? There's a big dinner. There's lots of people, and it says, and Martha served. Here's what I love. She smelled like Jesus in her gifting, okay? Before before, where Martha, where Martha, she stunk a little bit, right, was before, is she was serving, but she was serving with a lot of complaining. Oh, I can't believe, oh, I'm so, oh, will you tell my sister to help me? Oh, I can't believe this. And you go, ooh, Martha, I don't know if you smell like Jesus a little bit. There's a lot of bit of complaining in there. Well, now she's grown, and now it says Martha served. Martha just served. You smell like Jesus when you serve, guys, in the gifting that God has given you. You smell like Jesus. What about Lazarus? Well, Lazarus was, I mean, think about this, okay? Lazarus, guys, was, he was the guy raised from the dead. He was dead four days. And where do you find him? He's at the table, not saying the whole thing. What's he doing? He's witnessing. He's witnessing with his life. How does he smell? He smells by just simply being. Now, I've got to tell you, could you imagine what he thought? I'm still thinking he's tripping, right? Why? Because he was dead, And now all of a sudden, he's there with all the saints of God, and he hears his voice, Lazarus, huh? Now, here's what I told first service, okay? If I die, please don't pray me back, okay? That's what I'm saying. You guys are going, oh, we miss Ben. Let's pray for him. Listen, if I die, listen, it better not be like, hey, Ben, yes, Lord, this is great. I'm in heaven. Oh, I made it. This is real. Ben, they're praying you back. Don't listen to him, Lord. I'm here. I'm here. Right? Because when we get there, oh, that's what I look forward to. That's what I look forward to. Okay? But there's Lazarus. He's probably saying, going. And they're going, were you the one that was dead? I was dead. How dead were you? Dead as a doornail. Now I'm back, praise God. Well, you smell. Do I smell like death or do I smell like life? And then you have Mary. You see, from servanthood to witnessing to worship. She smelled like Jesus right? She smelled like Jesus. Why? Because you always smell like Jesus when you've been worshiping him. You always smell like Jesus when you've been worshiping. She did. She came in. Do you remember? She took $20,000, if you will, worth of oil, perfume, broke it on the feet of Jesus, and the whole room smelled like that perfume. And she, that was worship. That was extravagant worship. 
That was extravagant worship. She smelled like Jesus, right? And so we talked about, what do you smell like? What do you smell like, right? Now, think about it. This is what Paul does. Paul says, yeah, yeah, I I remember what Jesus said. I'd like to smell like Jesus. And so he writes something to the Galatian church that he says, here's some attributes of what Jesus smelled like. If you want to smell like Jesus, listen to these attributes. You go, what are they? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, we actually call it the fruit of the spirit. But we can say, this is what we should be like. This is how we should smell if we smell like Jesus. You ready? Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. You want to smell like Jesus, where does it start? It starts with love. It starts with love, right? And love, I believe, being mentioned first because it probably encompasses the other eight, right? You go, what do you mean? Well, Paul says, if you want to smell like Jesus, you need to smell like love. And it being said, the following eight are probably just describing what love in action looks like. Love. You want to smell like Jesus? It's love. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to you and me, he said what? People will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. Guys, that's what we should do. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest in church, okay? It's easy to love those that are lovable, right? It's easy to love those that are lovable. What God wants us to do is to love the unlovable. The unlovable. He wants us to love those that we would normally not hang out with. He wants us to love those that, oh, irritate me. That's what he says. He says, you want to smell like Jesus, love those that are hard to love. He goes, what else? He says, you want to smell like Jesus? You'll have joy. You'll have joy. I can't help but many times I think, Guys, in the midst of, of them diagnosing my wife with cancer, the joy she had, in the midst of them offering us, I mean, practically a death sentence. I'm a wreck, and she had joy. Now, again, remember, it's not that I'm happy. I'm so, it was, okay, God, I trust you. Now, let me say this. Your joy, that is the one thing the enemy wants to rip off from you every single time. Because if he can get a sad Christian, oh, right? What, how, is, how are we going to win people to Jesus? I, I'm a Christian. I'm just really happy right now. People are like, really? You should notify your face. I mean, seriously, you're just <laughs> bummed all the time. You complain all the time. Are you serious? I don't want that. I want joy. Does that mean I have to be happy? No, I have joy. I have joy, right? You want to smell like, you smell like Jesus, man. You've got this joy about you. You're going through a hard time right now. You've got this joy. How about this? How about peace? How about peace? You want to smell like Jesus? There should be peace in your life. Peace in your heart. First and foremost, you're not at enmity with God anymore. There's peace. You're not at war with God. You've made peace. He's made peace on the cross. But there should be peace with others. How about this? How about you want to smell like Jesus? How about patience? Oh, I knew you were going to bring up patience. Right? Patience. I have no patience. I have no patience. I know. The other day, the other day, right, okay, so our internet went down here, right, our phone went down, and so I'm on the phone, and I'm talking to the AT&T guys, okay, and I'm like, okay, here's what happened, here's what we need, and okay, so this is Thursday morning, we'll be there Saturday, I'm like, Saturday, and, and, and I'm losing patience, okay, and I'm just like, yes, I told you that, and the Lord's like, really, you're going to win him to Jesus that way, I'm like, We have to have patience. And sometimes I don't smell like Jesus when it comes to patience. Who's with me? Right? Almost everybody, right? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, yeah, we've got a whole nother series. Anyway, so so we got patience. We got patience. What else does Paul say? You want to smell like Jesus? How about kindness? How about kindness? Are you kind to one another? Are you kind? Are you saying kind things? I think about it, right? You want to smell like Jesus. I mean, you need to say kind things. If you have not said kind things to your spouse in a long, long time, and then you do, and she rolls her eyes, it probably means you haven't been kind in a long, long time. And it doesn't cost anything, does it? 
doesn't come. Baby, you look beautiful today. You have never said that to me in six years. I better check my own heart. But if we're kind, we say, hey, you look, you look, oh, you look handsome today. Thank you. How about being kind to, how about being kind to the, to the wait staff when we go out to eat after church? How about just being kind to them? I know we get there and we're impatient and we want to get in, we want to eat, been at church, pastor went too long, blah, 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 right? And then the, the waiter's doing the best and they mess up and you're, you're just like, ah, just that's it, their tip is, I can't believe. You know what? Statistically, waiters and waitresses have said on Sunday morning that the church folk are the worst. And let's not be that, guys, because we want to smell like Jesus. We want to smell like Jesus. How about goodness? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. You want to smell like Jesus? How about how about this one? He says, gentleness. You're gentle. What do you smell like? I smell like Jesus. Why? Because you're gentle. You're not harsh. You're not, you're not, you're not constantly rubbing against the grain. It's there's some gentleness about you. And last but not least, Paul says, Hey, you want to you want to smell like Jesus? What does it smell like? He says, self-control. Self-control. That's a hard one. Self-control. I want to smell like Jesus in self-control. Right? So that's the smell of love. That's the smell of Jesus. But Paul also contrasts the smell of those that those who cause a stink. You go, what do you mean? Do you remember Judas last week? Judas causes a stink. Why? Because she breaks open in worship and Judas is like, really? $20,000? Look, why didn't... Dude, seriously, why didn't you sell that and give the money to the poor? He wasn't interested in the poor as much as he was putting it in his own pocket, was he? As a matter of fact, look at the way that John writes it. He says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Right? You go, okay, well, Ben, I got a question. If Jesus smells like love, what does Paul contrast that with? Well, Paul contrasts that with the the smell of the flesh. This is what the flesh smells like. Check it out. He says, now, this is the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things, the key word is practice, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before we move on, let's chat for just a moment. Why? Because if Jesus smells like love and patience and kindness and self-control and goodness and all of these attributes, right? That's how we smell like Jesus. What does the flesh smell like? Well, first and foremost, we see that Paul says, here's what the flesh smells like. This is, this is what causes a stink in our lives. What is it? It's the first few sins, which are sensual sins. What are they? Well, they're what? They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. These are sensual sins. These are sins that go, hey, I want it. God made it. It's good. I'm going for it. And, 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 and we don't smell like Jesus at all that way, do we? The second, guys, is the religious sins, right? Idolatry and sorcery, right? I mean, think about this. And then we see the third one, which are people sins, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. I mean, think about it. Isn't that what Judas is? Judas is all about selfish ambition. Judas is all about dissensions. Judas is all about all that. Why? Because he's looking at the money box. He's seeing her break open 20 grand worth of oil. He said, hey, we could have sold that because... I've been pocketing the money myself. And I have my own agenda. Listen, when all this blows over and they take Jesus and they stone him to death, I need to get what's mine. I need to have, I need to have a little nest egg. And, and again, think about it, right? These are the people's sins, right? Selfish ambition. I mean, think about this, guys. Think about jealousy, right? Jealousy is going, man, I want what you have. I want that, Kevin. Kevin, I want that. I'm jealous of Kevin. Kevin has that. I want it. 
But then he, were, he uses the word envy. You know what envy means? Envy's worse. Envy says, I want what Kevin has, and I don't want Kevin to have it. That's how bad it is. I don't think I smell like Jesus when we have jealousies or envy, right? We stink. We stink, right? This is the work of the flesh. And then, of course, there's social sins. Social sins, yeah, think about it. Murders, drunkenness, rivalries. I mean, all of these are, are all encompassing, right? And so, and so we, we talked about, okay, do, what do we smell like? What do you really smell like? What do you really smell like? Do you smell like love and peace? And, and on a practical level, guys, listen, on a practical level, you, when, when you come home and your wife looks at you, you go, you smell like work. What does she mean? Well, I worked real hard. I was sweating. I might smell like a boy. You smell like work. That's the smell of Jesus. Why? Because, men, you are men enough to get up and go to work and provide for your family each and every day. You're not sitting home playing video games, 55 years old. Hey, I think I'll get a job sometime. No, 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 no. That's not love. What else? What else? What happens when you smell? You smell like baby poop or throw up. Man, you smell like, that's because I I serve in the nursery. And I'm in the nursery, and I smell like that because that's the smell of Jesus. Why? Because I'm holding your baby, and and I'm praying for them. God, please, protect this kid. Lord, the world they're growing up in is such a world that I don't know anymore. Please, God, please. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you smell like pine salt. And you go, why do you smell like pine salt? Because I serve at my church and I clean. And that's just my, that's my Martha gift. I just clean. And that's the smell of love. Why? Because again, that's what you smell like. You see, it's all Jesus because again, where is your heart? Your heart is to Jesus, first and foremost. And nothing's going to distract you. Well, today, as we continue in our study, guys, we see that the next day has come, right? And so we've come to the final week in Jesus's life. Where does it start? It starts with the triumphal entry, okay? The triumphal entry is what it'll show in your Bibles, but we also know it as Palm Sunday, right? It's the week before Easter, Palm Sunday. This is where it starts. Now, I need to give you a quick reminder, okay? John gives us snapshots of the deity of Jesus. He doesn't give us the full details. Now, the thing I love about this is that every gospel records the triumphal entry, every gospel. And you can piece it together beautifully, and you could go, oh, yeah, the two donkeys, and the master needs not of this. All of that is. John doesn't give us all the details. Can you understand? He's just going to give us the deity. He's going to give us the picture, snapshot. Okay, so we need to keep that in mind or you go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not sure I get it. So here's where we want to go. If you're taking notes, here's what you need to write down. Okay, I've entitled this message, the road to the cross was dot, dot, dot. Why? Because I'm going to give you four, uh, I'm going to give you four points to just these verses, four points. You ready? The road to the cross was a road of destiny, verses 12 and 13. Destiny. You want to write that down, okay? The road to the cross was a road of destiny. Number two, the road to the cross was a road of destiny, but it was also a road of devotion. Devotion, verses 14 and 15. So not only do we have destiny up front, we'll see the road to the cross was a, was a, was a road of devotion. Number three, The road to the cross was a road of destiny, devotion, but also discovery. Discovery, verse 16. We'll see that in verse 16, okay? So you should write down destiny, devotion, discovery. And point number four, the road to the cross was a road of decision. Decision, verses 17 through 19. Okay, let me give those to you one more time in case I talk too fast. The road to the cross was of destiny, a road of destiny. A road of devotion, discovery, verse 16, and decision, verses 17 through 19. Now, of course, in our study, we see that this is Palm Sunday, the day we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in preparation for the upcoming Passover festival. Jesus, well, he's acquired a cult of a donkey, 
It has never been ridden before, and it's going to carry him into Jerusalem. So when he rides into Jerusalem, church, the crowd with him, there is a crowd. The crowd is those that had seen, right, Lazarus be raised from the dead. But also the Jewish leaders were on the lookout to see if Jesus would be coming for the festival. So now you've got this huge crowd. Jesus is going to be riding a donkey. And you've got the religious leaders looking and go, where'd he be? Where'd he be at? And if you see him, you bring him here, right? He's a wanted man. He's a wanted man. If you see him, you need to bring him, right? So that's kind of what's going on. So that's where we pick up our story today. It starts with the next day. Point number one, the road to the cross is a road of destiny. Look at verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, we need to pause for just a moment, and we need to get some context. You say, what do you mean? John tells us that a great multitude was in Jerusalem. And you go, Ben, that doesn't mean anything to me, a great multitude. Let me give you some context, okay? Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that one year a census was taken to the number of lambs slain for Passover that would figure 256,500 lambs. That's how many lambs were on the Passover to be slain, 256,500. You go, okay, Ben, what does that mean? Josephus also goes on to say that they estimated there was, for every lamb, there was one lamb for every 10 people, for every 10 people. So when John says there was a great multitude in Jerusalem, we can easily discover that there was 2.5 million people in Jerusalem in that area. That's a lot of people, isn't it? 2.5 million. Now, there wasn't 2.5 million at the Ritz, you're right, the Ritz Carlton and the Hilton. They were everywhere. They were sleeping on the streets. This was the Passover. This was the big one. And Jerusalem is not that big. Could you imagine 2.5 people? You go, well, Ben, why would so many people? Because remember, in less than a week, Jesus is going to die on the cross. And where is he going to reach the, 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 the greatest multitude? Where there's a lot of people, isn't there? They're already following him, and it's spreading like wildfire. See, here's my point, guys. In your life, in mine, Jesus doesn't do things by happenstance. He doesn't just go, hey, I think I'll try this. There's always a purpose behind what he's doing in your life. There's always a purpose. What we need to do is not get impatient, step back, and wait for God. God, I know you're working in my life. I don't see it right now, but I know you're working. 25 People. Well, how has this been? How is this a, a road of destiny? Well, look what they did. Verse 13. They took branches of the palm trees, went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Right? Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the sight? People in great multitude gathered for something that like was this patriotic parade, okay? If you go to Israel today, you'll stand on top of the Mount of Olives and you can actually see the path where Jesus goes down, where he would literally cross over the Kidron Valley into the Temple Mount. You can see that. When we went to Israel a year ago, unfortunately, it was raining and very slick and it's a very steep descent, right? And this lady from another group in another country, she actually fell and hurt herself pretty bad. But you have to be so careful. It's going down and, and, and this is what Jesus is doing. And what they're doing, guys, is they're laying palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And you go, well, Ben, why are they naming, why, why, why are they having palm branches? What was that about? Well, palm branches were like a symbol of Jewish nationalism all the way back to the time of the Maccabees. The crowd looked to Jesus. Now, here, you got to catch this, guys, because this is going to show you something. The crowd looked to Jesus. Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Here's what they were looking for, okay? They were looking to Jesus as a political and national savior and not so much a spiritual savior. You go, really? Yes, they were looking at him to come. Remember, they're under Roman bondage right now. 
Rome is just on top of them, right? They're under Roman bondage, and they're going, Jesus is going to come up. He's going to be king. He's going to set up his rule and reign, and we'll be free. Hosanna. Here's my point. Here's my point, guys. Think about this. Think about this in our lives. If you're taking notes, I want you to see this. You would often ask yourself, how could the same crowd that yelled Hosanna in just a few short days yell out crucify, crucify? That would be a good question, right? Why? Here's why. Because the same crowd who thought Jesus was going to come in and be a national or political leader, they're going to be disappointed. They're going to go, oh, we were duped. I thought he was going to set up his kingdom. Look, he's going to the cross. Crucify him. He's an imposter. That's how their hearts were changed so fast. Really fast. And you go, okay, okay. Now, here's what I want you to know. I want you to note the practical. I still think, listen to me, there are a lot of people who look to Jesus to be the savior of everything else but their own soul. You know what I'm talking about? They'll look to Jesus to, and here's how a lot of people look at Jesus. And I don't mean to offend anyone. I just know people look at him as, as this great genie in the sky. And if I pray, he better give it to me because that's what God does. I don't really want, I don't need to know if he needs to save my soul, but I know that if I ask him for this, he should give it to me. And if I ask him for that, he should give it to me. And they look for all kinds of other things that Jesus should do instead of be the savior. They're just looking for something. Guys, if, if we can talk real and personable, that's why a lot of people walk away from God because they've looked to him to be something he's not. And when he doesn't fulfill what they think he should be, they go, well, I guess I've got to forget it. I'm, I'm not going to do this Christianity thing. And they never take the time to study who Jesus is through the word of God. See, Jesus never came and said, I'm going to be your national leader. I'm going to be your political. I'm going to be president of Israel. Vote for me. Jesus never said that. He always came with the heart, the humble heart, to save people from their sins, which is a far greater disease than what the Romans were, were putting on Israel. And so you're going, okay, okay, right? Think about this, guys. Think about this. There, there are people today who do that. As a matter of fact, we had a guy who showed up to our fourth on Broadway booth, okay, and he had a shirt on, and he started arguing with Adam about Jesus not being Jesus, that he was all Old Testament, which is really silly because the Old Testament, all it does is point to Jesus. I'm reading, I don't know about this Jesus thing, this Jesus, I don't know, Jesus, Old Testament, Old Testament. Dude, if you read the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And yet, the problem is, guys, is this guy, who's his Savior? Who's the savior? Because at the end of the day, we could sit and we could argue, we could whatever it is. But at the end of the day, Jesus said, no one comes to the father except through me. And I'm looking at him going, how are you going to get to heaven? You don't have a savior. You're arguing the Old Testament is the only way to go. And the Old Testament points to Christ. You're missing it, bro. You're missing it. We had one guy call up the church one day and he was just arguing with Josh about, about the Old Testament and Jesus and not Jesus and not Jesus, not Jesus, the Old Testament. And Josh couldn't get a word in edgewise. And, he, and, and at the, we hung up and we're just thinking, guys, listen, this is the soul we're talking about. This is a soul that, how are you going to find your way? Are you going to stand before a holy God going, well, Lord, I, I read the Old Testament and I didn't, I didn't see Jesus in it. So I mean, it's like, no, it all points to him. And that's where we put our faith and trust. Today, guys, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This crowd, man, is enthusiastic. It greeted Jesus with the words, you go, where did it come from? Well, it's a messianic psalm, 118, 25, and 26. Well, Ben, are you saying to me that all of the people were misled? No, no, no. A lot of them had a real heart for Jesus, and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the King of Israel. Yes, they understood. It wasn't political, and it wasn't a national. It was real, but there was a lot of them who said, no. No. You see, the road to the cross, guys, the road to the cross was one of destiny, but it was also 
It was also a road of devotion. You go, how so? Look at 14 and 15 with me again. It says, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You go, what is he doing? Guys, Jesus right here is fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling prophecy. As a matter of fact, if you go, well, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. I don't know what, what, who our Savior is. You can look at Zechariah 9.9. That's Old Testament. Zechariah was prophesying about this day. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion, O Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You guys see that? Why? Zechariah said, this is what your Messiah is going to be like. All of them were thinking, my king doesn't ride on a donkey. He should be riding on a stallion. That's what kings do. A big white stallion. And here comes Jesus on a donkey, on a little donkey. And people are like, really? That's my king? No, no, no. It is because Zechariah said, this is what's going to happen prophetically. Now, here's what you need to understand, guys. Let's talk real quick about fulfilling prophecy. Jesus fulfilled, listen to me, 355 prophetic prophecies, 355. Now, let's break that down. One person fulfilling just eight, eight would be this, one in 100,000 trillion, right? Jesus writes on a cult that has never been written. It's prophetic from Zechariah, for Jesus to fill that one prophecy was like, uh, you know, oh, we guessed it right, right? You know what I'm talking about? Prophecy and guessing are two different things, right? I'm going to guess that it's going to be sunny today. Well, you got a 50-50 chance. That's not prophecy. I'm going to guess it could rain. If Jesus were to fulfill eight prophecies, eight prophetic prophecies, it'd be one, listen to me, in a hundred thousand trillion. For one person fulfilling 48, just 48 prophecies, the chance would be 10 to the 157th power. For one person to fulfill all 355 prophecies, it would have to be God. You go, what does that do? When it comes to prophecy, guys, that's when you, when I say, listen, today, put your faith and trust in Jesus because he is God. I'm just not making that up. I'm just not up here going, yeah, this is a social club. I'm telling you right now, Jesus fulfilled all 355 so you and I can have peace when we put our faith and trust in him. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. We also see that the road, number three, the road to the cross was discovery. This is important. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Isn't that important? Why? Notice what it says. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Guys, and I'm thinking, ding, 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 ding. You go, why? Aren't we all prone to this? not understanding what God is doing in our lives, right? Especially as newer Christians, we go, ah, you go, what happens? Well, difficult situations and circumstances come into our lives. And oftentimes, can we be honest? We go, God, where is the Lord in all of this? Where is God in this? I don't see it. However, as we grow in holiness and Christian maturity in our own personal relationship with God, the more we're able to weather the storm without understanding what the Lord is doing. Think about it. As you grow, your question is not so much, God, I don't understand. We ask the Lord two questions in our immaturity. Where are you in this, God? I feel like I'm drowning. I don't understand. But then we get to grow where we taught the word of God and we have a foundation that there are times and storms in our life where we go, God, I, I don't understand, but you know what? Listen, you've got control. I'm not tripping. You've got this, God. 
I've seen you work time and time and time and time again. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. Aren't we like that, guys? Aren't we like that? We're like, God, I don't understand. Aren't you glad that God doesn't call us to understand, but he calls us just to walk by faith? Now, listen, I got to be honest with you. I have a love-hate relationship with that. You go, what do you mean? I love the fact that God calls me to walk by faith. I love it. Walk by faith, Ben, trust me. Trust you, Lord, I trust you. I love that he says that, but I also hate it. You go, why? Because I'd like to understand everything God's doing, don't you? Why are you doing this, God? Oh, okay, got it. God, help me understand. Oh, okay, got it. I, lo- I, I, I would love that, but he doesn't tell me that. He said, Ben, it's on a need-to-know basis, and right now you don't need to know. Yes, sir. Trust me. I want to build trust in you. So when this storm comes, trust me. Yes, sir, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Last one, guys. The road to the cross was a road of decision. Look at verse 17. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard he had done this sign. So what crowd is with Jesus, right? Those who saw Lazarus. Those who saw Lazarus raised from the dead, the Bible says they believed in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, here's what we need to understand, okay? These people did two things. If you're taking note, they did two things. What are they? They're following Jesus to the temple, to the festival. They're following Jesus. Jesus, where are you going? I'm going with you. Jesus, he's walking over here. I'm walking over. That's the first thing. The second thing is, the Bible says is that they bore witness. You go, what does that mean? They're telling others. They're telling others what they saw. Okay? So they're saying, hey, hey, Melissa, did you see what happened? No, I didn't see what happened. He rose Lazarus from the dead. He was dead. I'm telling you, he was dead four days. I saw it. And now Melissa's like, really? Okay, I'm with you. And so they're telling people about what they saw. Right? And so I started looking at this, and I said, okay, well, I think it's time we do a heart check. We do a heart check. Why? If Lazarus was a sign that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and the proof of God working through him and in him that all people believed, should not this illustrate our lives so? Should not? You go, how so? Well, if you're taking notes, these two things should be happening in our lives as well. If you're born again, like Lazarus was, if right, here's what happens. We should, number one, be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what that should that should happen. Okay? That should happen. You go, what I'm not sure what that means exactly. Number one, it means to follow Jesus, I must count the cost. I must count the cost. You need to stop and you need to go, okay, what's this going to cost me to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? Now, let me say this, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but here's what I mean. There might be people who are Christian in name only, and they're not offending anyone. As a matter of fact, they got great blenders. What do you mean? They blend right into the world. Nobody even notices. I'm talking about a fully devoted follower of Christ counts the cost. I know what this is going to cost me. It could cost me family, cost me friends, cost me my job, cost me, it could cost me, it could cost me. What else does it mean, pastor? It means that I must submit myself to someone greater and better. Someone greater and better. It also means, guys, ready? Jot this down. To follow Jesus means I must complete the course. Here's my prayer that every one of us would finish well. You see, guys, we're all starting at, we all start the same place. We all start the same place, but a lot of us are not going to finish well. It's like, could you imagine? Okay, all right, right? We got Kevin, we got Bob, we got Santos, we got Josh. Happy birthday, Josh. And so here we are, we're all getting ready to start the race, right? And so we hear the boom, right? The starter pistol, and we all take off. And all all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, I quit the race. I hurt my hammy. I'm just going to walk off. Nobody does that, right? People are like, boo, look at you. That's what people do in the Christian walk. And, and, and to, to be a fully devoted follower means we, what? we finish well. We finish the course, right? The second thing we see these people doing, the same thing to us, guys, you ready? Is that we should be telling others. Witnessing is something we are. It's not something we do. It's just who we are, right? Lazarus, he's sitting there. He's just, he's just chowing down. 
hey, this is a great steak, man. Wow, I never thought I'd eat steak again. And, and he's, just, he's just something he is. And I think, guys, when we witness, we should shine our light so bright for Jesus. It should just be shining. I looked this up. I have to give a disclaimer. Some people says, say it wasn't Francis of Assisi. Some say it was. But nonetheless, I'm going to say that he said this. He said, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. That's what he says. Preach the gospel at all times. How do we preach the gospel? How do you smell? If you smell like Jesus, you're preaching the gospel. If you smell love, peace, joy, patience, long-suffering, wow, you smell good. What is that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. You know what I say? Preach the gospel at all times and use words as well. Use words as well. Why? Because people need to know. Listen, if you, if you read the Bible through the year, you'll notice that this morning, Paul was giving his testimony in front of Felix. And he was just saying, this is what happened to me. I was a persecutor of Christians. I beat them. I signed their death certificate. And then God saved me. I was walking to Damascus. I had this light shine. You know what he was doing? He was being a witness, simply sharing what God has done in his life. What has God done in your life? All you have to do is share. You have to share. Right? Just share. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You don't understand. I was lost. Man, I was out of control, crazy. And Jesus saved me, and he, and he sanctified me. And wow, what a great... Oh, yeah. Guys, please, 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 let's not get in the habit of thinking that Lubbock is already saved. Our great city of Lubbock. They're not. There's a lot of people that need to hear your testimony, what God is doing in your life. It doesn't have to be a big. Let me tell you theologically what this Greek word means and this Hebrew. And just say, this is what I. This is where I was, man. I was messed up. I was messed up, man. I was mean to my wife. I was this. I was that. That's what I was. And then I died. You died. Well, not in a physical sense, but God, I was born again, and so I'm saved now saved. I'm telling you, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about my Lord? Can I tell you? When we smell like Jesus, church, we don't force, we don't, we're not, we're not super arrogant to people. Let me tell you about Jesus. You're going to hell. You That turns people off. We need to lovingly tell people about Jesus, lovingly. Why? What's our goal? What's our, what's our, what's our core value? We need to love people back to life, don't we? It's a lot of dead people. We need to love them back to life. Loving people's hard. Loving people's hard. Right? If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Loving people's hard. But when we love them to life, back into that relationship, that's what we're called to do. Okay, let's close, guys. Let's close. Let's close. Verse 19. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. So now they're all upset. So let's close with this, guys. The whole event is basically two groups and one group that's not mentioned. That's the whole event. You go, what do you mean? First of all, we see those pro-Jesus group, right? They've been following Jesus through some time for the last three years. They're saying, Hosanna. They love Jesus. They believe they're pro-Jesus. Can I get an amen? But we also have a second group. I call them the anti-Jesus group. Okay? These are the ones who are trying to protect what freedom they do have under Roman domination, right? Dominion. And, and they're, they're thinking, we're allowed to have our temple, leave us alone, Jesus. We're allowed to hold our festivals and perform our ritual sacrifice, leave us alone, Jesus. They're not forced to bow down to any other gods. And, and yet, here's what they're saying. They're saying, you know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it's better that, for, that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? It's better that Jesus die. Leave us alone. They're the anti-Jesus. But here's what I'm concerned about, the third group. This group is not mentioned, but here's who they are. They're the I don't care either way group. They're thinking maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the devil. Either way, I don't care. Makes no matter to me. And see, my concern is actually all three groups. You go, how so? Number one, the first group. If you're a first group and you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, I say, amen, we're here to, we're here to help you grow in the knowledge and the grace of God. 
If you're in the second group, the anti-Jesus group, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, he's, he's just taking away my freedoms. Don't you understand? He's taking away my freedom. He doesn't let me do what I want to do. Or maybe you're in the group that says, either way, I don't care. I'm just going to live my life. I only have one but one life to live, and I'm going to live it, and I'm going to go. And here's my concern. My concern, guys, is that, is that the here and now, that's not all there is. Eternity is at stake. Eternity is a long time to be without God. So my question to you is, which group are you in? You see, because if you're in the first group, I say amen. If you're in the second group, can we talk? Can we talk? Because a lot of the second group, let's be honest, somebody's hurt you. Someone in the church has hurt you. Somebody in the, and, and, and maybe a Christian hurt you, the church hurt you. And I tell you what, we get it. But please don't let that stop you from all that God has for you. And if you're in the, I don't care either way, can we please talk? Because eternity is a far, far Long place to stay without Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. God, we love you today. Father, I pray if there's anyone here, God, that doesn't know you in a real and intimate way, that today they would just give their lives to you. Maybe in the quietness of their heart, they're saying, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart. I surrender my life to you. So God, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.